to investigate aspects of British society. And this week, we'll explore Britain's relationship to sport. <laughs> um, British sport, just like German humour, is no laughing matter. <laughs> As such, not an obvious subject to tackle for what is meant to be a funny programme. Uh, did you ever wonder why there aren't more comics talking about sport on stage? It's extremely difficult, that's why. Got to be interesting for punters that are familiar with traditional British sports, such as bull baiting. <laughs> but it also has to be enjoyable for people who don't know a leg before from their elbow. <laughs> it also mustn't turn into one big exercise of Brit bashing. So as you can see, these are unrealistically high expectations <laughs> that are bound to end in crushing disappointment, <laughs> which ironically is a fitting summary of British professionals. <laughs> Well, British sport is very integral to me being in the UK because I did arrive on these shores ten years ago to work in the marketing department of 30-vision side Wickham Wanderers FC. <laughs> and if that wasn't the best crash course of Britain, then I don't know what is. Well, one of the first people I met was 80-year-old Jim, one of the club's many volunteers. Lovely chap who sold tickets for the club lottery. And he was wearing a jumper emblazoned with the Royal Air Force logo and immediately asked me where in Germany I was from. <laughs> yeah, you are anticipating what... Uh, uh. So yeah, I said, I'm from Hagen. And then him replying very matter-of-fact, Ooh, I know Hagen, but only from the air. <laughs> Well, on that bombshell, <laughs> let's talk about the upcoming Olympic Games in London, London 2012. Uh, are we all excited? Yeah, I think we can all safely agree London 2012, that'll be a right old shambles. <laughs> It will be a national embarrassment and a half. <laughs> at least unlike at the last London Olympics in 1948, this time Germany is invited. <laughs> uh, but let bygones be bygones. Londoners will be great hosts and create a great atmosphere and make the athletes of even the most outlandish sport feel welcome. So I'm not saying you celebrate weirdness, but you certainly support variety... Well, talking as a British taxpayer and London council taxpayer, the one issue I'm already not best pleased with is the whole budget issue. Because when Britain bid for the Games, it was meant to cost £2.4 Now they're up to £9.3 How can they get it that wrong? Did they go, ooh, we would really like to host them Olympic Games? What do we need for that? <laughs> Well, to host them Olympic Games, we'll need one marker pen. <laughs> That'll write down the winners' names. <laughs> and we'll need one big whiteboard to write the names on. 
and we'll need one massive box of PG tips <laughs> to see us through. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, as a special treat for all the athletes, they'll break a world record, they'll all get an after eight. <laughs> And based on that, Britain's given the games, and then one bright spark went, oh, no, we've forgotten something. We also need stadiums. Is there any bookkeeping trick we can do? Yeah, yeah, let me do it. I used to work for KPMG. Come on. Give me that marker pen. Come on, here. Marker pen, 169. Whiteboard, 499. PG tips, 599. After eight, 399. Miscellaneous, seven billion. <laughs> and in the end, it was a two-horse race, wasn't it, the games? Either they would go to Paris or to London. And don't get me wrong, I really dislike the frogs. <laughs> and I still much rather the games had been given to Paris and every single British taxpayer had been given a return ticket on the train to Paris and back and five nice nights in a hotel over there and a complimentary gold medal. And all that would have been a lot cheaper and a lot less embarrassing than actually trying to host the Games. And winning Olympic medals is hard, isn't it? And that's why Britain very shrewdly invented the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> Yeah, the Commonwealth Games where British athletes compete against the finest postmen, plumbers and bus drivers <laughs> from Montserrat, Dominica and the Virgin Islands. <laughs> it's like the first round of the FA Cup all the way through. And when hosting international events, citizens are always promised a legacy of grassroots facilities. Well, let's see if London 2012 will deliver. I mean, the UK could certainly do with some more swimming pools. Oh, Olympic-sized, open to everyone and a pleasure to be in. Of course, we all know what it's like at the moment, don't we? I mean, go to any public swimming pool and everyone in there will be there on doctor's orders. <laughs> There was a twig hanging out their mouths. <laughs> yeah, then, then in a shallow end, there will be some sex cases. <laughs> yeah, they will be doing two lengths at most before some spitting and pissing in the water. <laughs> I mean, that is your run-of-the-mill British pool experience, isn't it? And last year, last year I went to a swimming pool in Australia and everyone in there was looking really healthy and knew how to swim really elegantly and fast and for hours. I was by far the most out-of-shape person in the pool, if not the whole local area. Uh, tell you what, I was probably the most out-of-shape person in the whole of Australia. <laughs> I became so self-conscious, and so I looked down myself in my Speedos. Yeah? <laughs> and I've got pot belly. I was sunburned yet pale. <laughs> Don't know how I'd done it, yeah? And then I've got bloated cheeks, indicative of a camera membership card. <laughs> I, 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 I felt so uncomfortable in myself that ultimately I unfurled my Union Jack <laughs> and gave a rendition of Rule Britannia. <laughs> and because I thought I'd rather give Britain a bad name than Germany. <laughs> there is one thing British councils have a lot better organised than their Australian counterparts, and that are the shops at the exit. 
<laughs> yeah, because in Australia there was a beautiful person trying to sell me freshly squeezed fruit juice, making me feel even more inadequate. <laughs> yeah, and that's understood by the British councils. And they make sure that British swimming pool exit shops only sell Twix, <laughs> fresh out the pool, eh? and, eh? and that they're all staffed by some freakish-looking creature. <laughs> Yeah, no matter how little exercise you just got done, you'll be able to leave on a positive notion of... (laughs) Well, at least I look healthier than you do. (laughs) That's not a Twix. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Britain is home to some of the world's strangest sports. Box snorkeling, cheese rolling, haggis hurling. Yeah, but none of them needs as much explaining as the strange beast that is the so-called gentleman's sport. It's not a specific sport, it's a state of mind. As soon as the Brits realise they aren't good enough to win, which tends to be shortly after the sport in question has been taken up by a second nation, <laughs> and they refer to any given sport as gentleman's sport ready-made excuse to laugh off underachievement. <laughs> These gentlemen sports, this whole nobody-is-a-loser approach is plain wrong. I mean, not only in sport, but life in general. Because whatever you start out in life, be it golf, binge drinking or street fighting, <laughs> in the beginning you must get outclassed and reduced to tears, for that is what makes you strive for revenge. You quit your day job, cancel all social activities and focus on practising. And then after years of single-minded determination, you reduce others to tears. Or fail and kill yourself. (laughs) That's life. (laughs) Then sport can bring people together, but equally can divide communities, particularly in Glasgow. (laughs) And with all its sectarian problems. And bigotry isn't as easy as it looks. No, it really is, because I, for one, can't make my mind up which old firm side to support. I mean, I love the current Pope. <laughs> yeah, certainly his nationality. So, yeah, so I should support Celtic, the Catholic side. But I'm a born Protestant, so I should support Rangers. And But being a Protestant in the UK means being loyal to the Queen of England, so I should support Celtic. Then again, the Queen of England is German. <laughs> should support Ranger. It's just too complicated. I sometimes wish I would have been born into some East Glasgow council estate uh, with my dad, naively assuming I would know him, uh, (laughs) with my dad telling me who to hate. (laughs) Obviously, can't give this lecture on sports without mentioning the footballing rivalry between England and Germany. Uh, What can I say? England, Germany. It's always a big game, particularly for England. Germany usually have got a lot bigger games to play after. <laughs> well, to be honest, I don't enjoy football as much as I used to because Nationalmannschaft, the German national team, we're rubbish these days. <laughs> Honestly, we, we have now not won a major tournament for 16 years. <laughs> And we haven't even been to a final of one for almost 45 months. Uh, All those days of hurt. (laughs) 
Well, and now to give us a real insight into the world of English sports, I'm now joined by former player, ex-manager of the England football team, football pundit and the current chairman of Watford FC, Graham Taylor! So far, a fair assessment of British sports? Very accurate, I would think. <laughs> Very accurate. But there is this relationship between England and uh, Germany on the football field. Now, relationship is a strange word to use, but uh, you're quite right what you say. It is a special game. My particular start as the England manager, my first 12 games without defeat, my 13th game against the unified Germany, we lost. <laughs> well, what can I say? I'm sorry. I mean, the one thing you've got to accept when you're a football manager is everybody can do your job better than you. You've just got to accept it. And they never pick a side. Their side never plays. Uh, but they're still better than you, if you're losing. Yeah, well, that is... I mean, the thing is, as a stand-up comedian, at least you, you tend to have the audience on your side at first. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Great, great. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play it, did you, Andrew? Uh, talking about the upcoming Olympic Games, uh, yeah. are you one of the lucky ones? Have you got tickets for anything? No, I haven't got tickets because, you know, when London talk about how to get to the Olympic Games and you realise that all the roads are now painted red just for the officials, you think, how the hell am I going to get there? So I have no tickets. I'll end up being a television viewer. I'm not going to go down. I have, didn't apply for any tickets. Mm. Might surprise people, but... No? No. You have, got, have you got a big telly? Yeah, but... Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, well, I've got a neighbour across the road, uh, and even if you look on the other side of the road, that telly in their living room is bigger than the telly in my own <laughs> living room. <laughs> yeah, and would you say, oh, Britain is a strong sporting nation? It is, in terms of, you know, what they believe, without, you know, you've not brought it in, but it is very, very disappointing. In 1966, I was in my room, I'd been married 15 months, and I'm watching the game, and Jeff Hurst comes along, you know, the old saying, they think it's all over, it's, it is now. Jeff Hurst has put the ball into the top corner of that, it's 4-2. Yours sincerely. <laughs> Jump up like that, and would you believe we'd just bought a chandelier, and I broke... <laughs> I broke the chandelier, and my, my wife has never, ever forgiven, she still talks about it, and it all came down, and I mentioned it to Jeff Hurst once, and he's not offered me any money neither. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, everybody else keeps talking about that day. Well, that's so, all I can I mean, talk about, isn't it? Might as well, mightn't yeah. she? So, if you were the sports minister, what would you, uh, what would you change? Or if you were the chairman of the FA? Well, I, I, I'd get rid of foreign managers. I don't believe in them. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for the England side. England, if they want to remain... I, this is nothing against either Sven Eriksson or Fabio. Uh, it's nothing against them, but I don't believe that England should be employing uh, a foreign manager. And I would prefer, I don't mean to be nasty at all, but I would prefer the England manager to be English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find it... I mean, it's, it's a different story, let's say, if Germany were to take up cricket. Mm. So you would get someone in from England or Australia because they know best, uh, or at least they know something about the sport. So that would be... Because, so, and then in, if it's not your core sport, you can get someone from abroad. But if it's your it's core cool, sport, right. you should have... Uh, well, One of your own people. That's what I think. Are you available again? 
I suppose, you know. <laughs> keep it between ourselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I've been very fortunate. I don't care what anybody says at all. To be a professional footballer and to attain a level of fitness that professional sportsmen do, fantastic. To play football and then manage, I've never had a proper job in my life, have I? <laughs> The summary is, uh, football is about winning. <laughs> it was a long talk for that result. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Two world wars, I hear that wherever I go. Two world wars and one world cup. Duda. <laughs> Two world wars and one world cup. Duda. I mean, I follow football quite closely. I don't remember America ever win the world cup. <laughs> yeah, that works even better in Scotland. <laughs> I mean, leave it or not, I still get heckled with shouts of 5 1. Yeah? 5 1. I mean, let me explain to the ladies what that is all about. Uh, <laughs> 5-1 is a fluke scoreline <laughs> from a football game only 11 years ago when England indeed beat Germany 5-1 and even Heskey scored. <laughs> it was a qualifier for World Cup 2002, which in the end both teams did qualify for. And then in the actual tournament, Germany went on to play the final. Admittedly, we lost, but we went on to play the final whilst England got sent packing weeks before that. <laughs> and that's why I genuinely don't understand the pride about that 5-1. Because that is a bit like me walking up to a Russian fella and go, Oi, mate, Stalingrad, 1941. <laughs> Duda. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, <laughs> simply because I know the Russian fella would just turn around and go, Stalingrad, 1942. <laughs> Dudarsky. <laughs> Jeff Hurst. Yeah, let's go back even further. Jeff Hurst yeah, could invent a cure against cancer, and no-one would care. Yeah, Jeff, your Nobel Prize-deserving breakthrough in medical science is all good and well, but tell us again, what was it like? 1966, <laughs> scoring those two goals. <laughs> now, I celebrate... Celebrate... <laughs> celebrating past successes has long been not only a problem of British sport, but wider society. The British military still gloats about their minor supporting role in World War II. <laughs> yeah. And as a result, they have not won anything since other than a small conflict in 1981 against third-rate Argentina, who were without Maradona. <laughs> at home, or was it away? And finally the, uh, uh, the answer to that question was what the war was all about. Uh, I tell you what, had Lord Nelson survived the Battle of Trafalgar, he would have spent the last few decades of his existence in alehouses round Soho being coaxed into time and again repeating how he hoofed the cannonballs up front until one of them finally hit the back of the Spaniard's onion back. <laughs> to this day, Nelson's an inspiration to youngsters, such as a young Ellen MacArthur, who saved all her school dinner money to buy her first boat. 
which begs the question what sort of school she went to. <laughs> uh, how much can a school reasonably charge for turkey twizzlers? <laughs> I mean, had I saved up all my dinner money, I could have best have afforded one of them rubber swimming rings. <laughs> I suspect the boat was bought for her by her parents. A punishment. <laughs> uh, whenever she was naughty, she wasn't sent to her room but out to sea. Uh, her parents were accused of cruelty, but they claimed the Atlantic was her bedroom. <laughs> Whimsical humour! It uh, doesn't suit my nationality, personality or taste, but I thought I'd give it a good old go. <laughs> and talking of Whimsical, last October, The Guardian ran a piece asking if angling is a racist sport. They really did. Uh, the question I would like to have answered first is if angling is a sport. <laughs> as far as I can tell, the only ones exercising are the fish. <laughs> and I don't understand the appeal of angling. I mean, I do like sitting down. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not keen on all those rots, reels and tackles. Bring a power generator. Yeah, electrify the water and let the voltage do the work for you. Fish will get a shock and you can simply collect as many as you need. Efficiency. Uh. It's now ten years since I came over to work for Wickham Wanderers and uh, realised uh, I'm becoming more and more British. I realised that particularly last year when I did a recording for QI, that uh, Stephen Fry programme, uh, one of the topics was injustice in sport, or miscarriage of justice in sport, well, 1966, obviously. <laughs> uh, there have been other incidents of cheating, and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, the one I look back on, I remembered in 2000, do you remember that? 2000 at the Paralympics. Do you remember the Spanish basketball team? Yeah, that entered the mentally disabled basketball tournament. Yeah, and thrashed everyone like no-one's business. Yeah, won the gold medal by a country mile, but then later on were found out not to be disabled. <laughs> and at the time, I was still living in Germany, and I was thinking, well, it's a bunch of Spaniards. <laughs> and they entered a mentally disabled basketball tournament without being disabled. That way, outdoing genuinely disabled people or their fully deserved Paralympic medals. And that's so low and shows such massive mental deficiencies <laughs> that they were entitled to be in the competition. <laughs> and that's how I thought about it back then. But now, after 10 years in Britain, I thought about it afresh. And I thought, well, it's a bunch of Spaniards. They were just having a laugh. <laughs> They were just having a laugh. Have you got no sense of humour? Bloody rule Nazis, they were just having a laugh. Come on. <laughs> and that's when I realised that now after ten years in Britain, I do rate having a laugh over logic. <laughs> well, Herr Kuhnle. My father, he's a doctor mm -hmm. still, and so... <laughs> Um, I got a very, very critical eye on sport because I always saw those injured people coming in our house. I wrote a song, a, a very 
critical song about sport, mm-hmm. about the negative aspect, because yeah. only, you only talked about the positive aspect, mm-hmm. and the people can also join in at a certain point. Too much sport makes you sick, makes your joints swollen and thick. The benefit of sport is misunderstood with all that damage done for good. Who's always running as fast as he can will soon be walking like an old man. Arthritis pain and tears of frustration is the final destination. Falling from the back of the horse is painful, yes, of course. Racing downhill on your skis, crash and break both your knees. Running, swimming, basketball A German phrase that says it all Sport is smart, means sport will kill So please, no sports, ignore the thrill Sport is smart, means sport will kill Please, no sports, ignore the thrill Boxing leads to mental issues Tennis elbow can give you the blues The list of risks in rugby is too long For just one little song But the worst that can happen to you And this is important and this is true It's unacceptable and there is no excuse Never ever lose One more time everybody Never, ever, lose, repeat. Never, ever, lose. In Germany, failure is not expected. Only winning is accepted. Now you truly understand how we do sport in the fatherland. Now you truly understand how we do sport in the fatherland. We have learned so much about Britain over the last six weeks. The people of Blighty like a laugh. There would be no political system if it wasn't for hopnobs. The Queen is middle class, and I learned how to pronounce ad infinitum. Oh, no, wrong again. (laughs) Well, one mustn't grumble, and there's always a next series for two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, anyway. (laughs) Thanks again so much for listening, and goodbye! That was Henning Knows Best, hosted by Henning Wen, that's me, and featured Graham Taylor on Der Wunderbare Otto Kuhnle. It was written by the cast and Kent Valentine and Liam Malone. It was produced by Paul Russell and was an open mic production for BBC Radio 2. Hanging, hanging, hanging,